Hey everybody, this is Ted Wynn, and we are excited about this episode of Perspective. I have on my friend, uh, who is a CNN analyst and an author and an educator, Mr. Keith Boykin. He has a new book out entitled The Politics of a Darkening America, Race Against Time. It's a book you want to get. Stay tuned for this episode. Please. So hey everybody, this is Ted Wynn, and I am delighted to have my guest today, um, author, analyst, educator, activist, uh, Mr. Keith Boykin, who is also, as I said, author of this incredible book, um, The Politics of a Darkening America, Race Against Time, which we'll discuss today along with a few other things. Um, so Keith, how are you? How have you been? I'm doing well, thank you very much. <laughs> Coffee and mid right? You did that on purpose. <laughs> Of course I did. <laughs> you have a lot of something to say before this. <laughs> All is good. I'm in Los Angeles. No complaints. Nice. Well, I wanted to 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 have you on and have this conversation just about the climate of what's happening. Here we are at the in in Black History Month, and uh, there's so much happening in the country as it relates to. Um, the the <laughs> legislation that's being uh, fought against that would help to make voting rights fair and this voting fair this is this is what's really interesting to me about it is that voting is supposed to be a right of every U.S. citizen um, not a privilege not a benefit like it is a right that we have as citizens in this country. Um, we know that black folks have always had to fight for that right. Um, civil rights movements, you know, we go back to the 50s and 60s and you had all this push for voting rights legislation and the Voting Rights Act, et cetera. Here we are in 2022, still having conversations mm. around voting rights. Mm -hmm. um, last month, we honored the, the life legacy of Dr. King, and I was talking to some people around that time and asking, how do you think King would feel knowing that here we are 2022, basically like 60 years later, still having this same conversation? Um, we can't know, but do you think King would be surprised? Do I think Dr. King would be surprised? Yes. Oh, not at all. I mean, if you look back at his own rhetoric, he talked about the same issues we have today. He talked about the filibuster, complained about how the filibuster was being used to prevent uh, voting rights, not only in the Senate, but in the, for the majority of the American people. He argued back in the 1960s that we have a, a group of misguided senators who they don't even want their own body to vote in the Democratic majority, majority elections. So they certainly don't want the majority of the American people to vote because they don't represent the interests of the American people. We have the same issue today. But this is the way our system was designed. Hmm. And that's important to note because a lot of times they'll say, I'll make a comment about uh, the fact that we have a, a dysfunctional democracy or we don't have a democracy in this country. We, we have an oligarchy or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'll get these, these comments from these people uh, on um, Twitter who will say things like, this is not a democracy, it's a republic. Oh my God, like, like, they, like they're, they're educating me on something I don't know. Like I sure. didn't Harvard Law School and teach political science and teach, come on, 
like of course I know what kind of kind of kind of government we have, but democracy is a larger term that is used to encompass a republic. A republic is a form of democracy. But the republic that we have is still a democracy and it's still dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And it was created to be somewhat dysfunctional, but it was created essentially to perpetuate the interests of, of white supremacy. And it has mm-hmm. done so quite well. It's 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 manipulated and been manipulated by people in power over the course of 240 some odd years to do just that. You go back to the Constitution, the Constitution never guaranteed our right to vote, not the original document. Mm. It wasn't until 1870 and the 15th Amendment was passed that the right to vote, particularly for black men, was enshrined in the Constitution. Even then, we had to fight for the right to vote because after Reconstruction ended in 1877, Southern states came up with all sorts of creative ways to block people from voting for nearly 100 years. Yeah. The grandfather clauses, the poll taxes, the literacy test, all sorts of, of, of traps, if you will, to prevent black people from voting. So we had to have an actual law, the Voting Rights Act, in 1965, 95 years after the original voting uh, amendment. We had to have a law to protect that right to vote. And even that law has to come up for reauthorization every few years. And um, what's happened is that the Republican Party has changed from a party that supported voting rights in the era of Lincoln, mm-hmm. that supported voting rights even in the, um, in the 19, in 1965. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of people who voted, the majority of senators who voted against the Voting Rights Act in 1965 were Democrats. Right. Also, every person who voted against the Voting Rights Act was a Southerner. But Democrats controlled the Southern seats in the Senate, so it was basically Southern Democrats who were opposed to the Voting Rights Act. So here we are now, where in 2006, the George W. Bush, the Republican president, signed the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act. It was mm-hmm. unanimous vote in the United States Senate. Not a single person voted against it. Right. Then Barack Obama gets elected in 2008, mm. and everything changes. Yeah. We start to see voting rights restrictions all across the country and state after state, you start to see this fear that the darkening of America, the changing of the political climate is going to wipe away white political power. Mm-hmm. And so by 2013, the Supreme Court, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, supposed to be the some moderate or something, allows yeah. uh, the Supreme Court to gut the Supreme Court, uh, gut the Voting Rights Act in the Shelby County v. Holder decision. Mm-hmm. And now we are in 2022, where we have a law the Voting Rights Act, which, as I said, was unanimously passed by the Senate the last time it came up reauthorization in 2006, and now not a single Republican will go on record in supporting of this. Support of this. I, I mean, it's it's it it is really to the point of of your book. Like that's the only thing that's changed, right? Is that the country has grown in terms of its minority population, and I think that, and I'm not sure if this if this um, if this count takes in the uh, into account the uh, the election of, of um, Biden, but I know seven of the last eight presidential elections, the Democrat won a popular vote. And so I think as Republicans have seen this play out over time, they realize that if not for the Electoral College and if not for you know restricting voting rights, then they would lose pretty much every time, at least in the White House. And I think that that fear of not having control and not being able to hold on to the, the good old boy system is what keeps them, you know, fighting yeah, against yeah. the natural kind of progress that we have. 
We have a democracy, Ted. If they, if they really believed in democracy, they'd let everybody vote, but they don't want everybody to vote. They don't, they've actually said, you have Republicans who've gone on record and say, we don't want everybody to vote. We don't think that certain people should be voting. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're not hiding their agenda in any way. But then they go on the record and they say stupid stuff like what Mitch McConnell Mitt, and Mitt Romney have said, basically accusing Joe Biden of being a partisan hack because he's supporting something that they, as a party, supported themselves a decade ago. <laughs> and they're saying, oh, he's divisive. It's the most divisive. You know, that's, that's nonsense. I wrote a piece in the Washington Post last month about voting rights. And I mentioned that Democrats need to avoid this whole bipartisanship, bipartisanship trap. Yes. The idea that the president can't be divisive. He has to be unified. That's baloney. The yes. presidents that get things done are the presidents who are and have been divisive in certain ways. Um, and, and, and in a sense, that's how they get reelected. Because yes. they, the, their, base of their base in their party wants to see them fighting for something. Even if they don't succeed, they want to see them fighting for that. And, you know, I go back to the example of Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt, in his 1936 pre-election speech in Halloween, uh, gets up there and says, you know, the, the forces, of, 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 the forces of, uh, of entrenched opposition are aligned against me. Because mm -hmm. they are aligned and they're, they're united in their hatred against me. And mm -hmm. I welcome their hatred. Mm -hmm. that's, that's something you don't you don't hear Joe Biden say. I welcome the no. you see Donald Trump saying that. But you don't see Joe Biden saying that. If you're fighting for right, if you're fighting for the right cause, it doesn't matter who's on your side, and who's not on your side. It doesn't matter yes. what your political party is. You just get in there and fight for it, even if it does divide people. The right to vote is fundamental to who we are as a country. The president of the United States is the chief advocate, or should be the chief advocate for that basic right. And yes. the extent that he hasn't been over the course of the past year will go down in history as a huge failure for this administration. I think you're exactly right. And I don't understand the, the Democrats' uh, uh, constant, like, maybe it's like a fetish they have for, like, this bipartisan thing. And it's like, these are the same people who are perpetuating a lie about the election was stolen. These are the same people who won't hold Trump accountable in anything that he's ever done. These are the same people who are intentionally putting laws in place to prevent people from voting. These are the same people who will not stand up and, and who will ignore subpoenas for the January 6th commission. Like these are not people who are working towards unity or unification or something that is um, the right thing to do, so to speak. These are people who are uh, build their entire political platforms on being divisive. They build their entire political platforms on uh, maligning people and, and castigating people and saying, you know, these people want to take your country and your jobs and your way of life. That's how they do it. And I don't understand why Democrats feel so beholden to this idea of we must coalesce and bring these people together when these people are not trying to cooperate. We, hell, we can't even get the, the, all the Democrats to cooperate when it comes to voting rights and doing what it needs to take to, take, take to get it done. I know we talk about Kirsten and Cinema, Kirsten Cinema and Manchin, but maybe even Mark Meadows, I'm not sure, and one, one other Democrat may not be in support of getting rid of, carving out a, a, a filibuster niche, niche, right, carving out this this, well, Mark um, Meadows was uh, Trump's um, White House chief of staff. You must meet somebody else, right? Not Mark Meadows. Um, uh, the other senator from Arizona. Oh, not okay. I get you. What saying? Um, I can't think of his name then. The the one the astronaut. <laughs> I can't think of his name either. Yeah, but, him. Uh, Gifford. Give. Um, what's his? Uh, Gifford. Mark. Mark Gifford. Is it Mark Gifford? Yeah. 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 
Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't know about him either. I was, I was like, who are we talking about here? <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a party that when Barack Obama was in office, Mitch McConnell, the party leader, said that his fundamental priority was to make Joe and make uh, Obama a one-term president. Right. This is the party that wouldn't even allow Barack Obama to have a hearing for his Supreme Court nominee, Merrick right. Garland. Right. Uh, this is a party that has introduced hundreds of bills in state legislatures to restrict the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why anybody thinks this is a party that can be rational reasoned with after they elected Donald Trump. That should tell you everything that you need to know about the Republican Party today. Yeah. But Democrats, I think, have their own issues. And one of those issues is this fantasy of attracting white moderates. Mm. You know, the idea that the white moderates are going to come to the flock to the Democratic Party. And we just have to, like, we don't want to go too far to the left or anything like that because we're going to spread away the white moderates. Yeah. Democrats have been trying to do this forever. And the reality is white people in general have left the Democratic Party and have done so for nearly 60 years, and they ain't coming yes. back. Right. I mean, no Democratic candidate for president has won the white vote since 1964 when Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Not yes. one. Not and one. that tells you everything you need to know about the direction of the party and the difference between the, the two parties. Because the reality is that if it weren't for white people, Republicans wouldn't have any power. The only right. racial group that votes for Republicans, Black people yeah. don't, Native Americans don't, Asian Americans don't, Latinos and Hispanics don't. I mean, white people are the party. The Republican Party is the party of white people, and white people are the party of Republicans. Yeah. So let me ask you, thinking about what uh, <laughs> Manchin and Cinema say are their concerns, right, about the filibuster, wouldn't it stand to reason that if they really felt voting rights were important, that they'd be saying, okay, we can't do this carve out of the filibuster. We want to get this passed with the current rules and we need 60 votes. So what we're going to do is we're going to go and sit and talk to 10 Republicans we think we can win over and figure out what they will vote for. Wouldn't that seem to be like what they would be doing if they were interested in protecting voting rights? Well, allegedly that's what they are doing. That's what Manchin's been saying he's been doing not only on voting rights, but on other legislation, economic legislation. Um, but I'm not sure that that even makes sense, to be honest, Ted, because the reality is there aren't 10 Republicans who will do it. There's not even one or two Republicans who will do it. Because the Republican Party, Donald Trump said this very clearly when he was in office, even before he was running for, running for president, that the Republican Party has no chance of winning if we have a dem- democratic elections. Uh, if, if we have democracy in this country, we don't have the same country we have right now. First of all, we don't, we don't have the United States Senate we have right now, as we've talked about before. We're a state, we're a state like California, where I'm living in now, is 39 million people and gets two senators, while North Dakota and South Dakota have one and a half million people and they have four senators. Right. White and rural, and this is a state with much more diversity of black and brown people. That's right. Democratic. Uh, states, places like the District of Columbia, which would have statehood, they don't have statehood, or Puerto Rico, if they wanted statehood, they don't have statehood. That's, mm-hmm. There's no chance of Republicans ever supporting anything like that. They don't want anything that looks like democracy. Mm-hmm. So the notion that somehow we're going to be able to convince 10 Republicans in the United States Senate to do that is, is obscene. <laughs> they have no interest in doing that. But that's my point. Like, So so then, even if Manchin is saying this, if Cinema is saying this, it's not believable. 
they because they have to know what we're talking about right now is is true. Like Joe Manchin is not naive enough to think that he could get ten Republicans to support voting rights. I just don't do not believe that. I think it's disingenuous, or that he just right out lying. Well, I mean, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have other interests too. I mean, I mean, to a certain extent, I think they're both beholden to uh, corporate interest, corporate donors, and 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 I don't think that they're they're representing truly the interests of the people in their states. I mean, there are people in in Arizona and people in West Virginia who could benefit from a lot of the legislation that Joe Biden has proposed, but. Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are two of the people who are in the Democratic Party who are remaining as obstacles to that right. progress. What do you feel like the options are as it relates to securing voting rights? If we can't get these two senators on board and we can't get rid of the filibuster, I mean, because Joe Biden is, you know, doing everything and came to Atlanta and made a speech, which was performative for me. I don't think he's done enough. One week of speeches or one or two weeks of speeches is not enough to, to make up for a year of neglect. This has not been on the radar screen for, for, for the Democratic Party elite, the establishment, and the White House for nearly a, a year. Yeah. What they should have done is made it a priority from the very beginning and sure. explain that every other issue depends on voting rights. The yes. ability to pass COVID relief. I mean, we have people, people who were getting relief from the COVID bill have lost their lost their uh, payments now because of uh, because of the, the, the filibuster. I mean, the mm-hmm. ability to pass the Build Back Better bill that's also locked up because of the filibuster. Uh, yeah. The ability to raise the minimum wage, the ability to, to pass immigration reform, the ability to do police reform, the ability to do any issue that people care about, that people who at least voted for Joe Biden care about, um, is going to be blocked from now until the end of the uh, year, at least. It may be the end of his administration unless something dramatic happens in the November election. But Republicans have no incentive to, to go to the negotiating table and work with him now. His popularity is lower. He hasn't accomplished what uh, some of the major goals he wanted, that the progressive wanted to accomplish. And mm-hmm. so um, they're just going to sit on the sidelines and watch it all crumble. But, but sm- so, so again, <laughs> raises this question, is there anything, rather, that could be done well, yeah, to, to I, protect well, voting I, rights? I think the president still has power. Uh, you know, the three areas where I think the president has power, one, regardless of what happens with Congress, one is the power of appointments. The president can appoint and nominate people. Uh, they, sometimes they have to be confirmed by the Senate, and that confuses things or complicates things. But sure. the appointment themselves, the nomination itself, is a statement uh, from the president. Uh, two, the president has the power of the bully pulpit. The president can speak and make any issue a priority. The president can go to Congress and deliver a joint speech to a joint session of Congress about Mm -hmm. voting rights. Uh, The president could have a a primetime address from the Oval Office about voting rights. The president Mm -hmm. could go to West Virginia and go to Arizona and campaign with Kamala Harris, and they got so upset about that, uh, about voting rights. the president could go over the heads of those people in those states. The president could lean on those members of the Senate uh, in, the, in the LBJ style and, and threaten them that you're not going to get another damn thing through the United States Senate to help your people unless you do this for me. I, I just, I, I, I don't think any of those things changes anything. No. I mean, honestly, I feel like he, I feel like he should do all of those things. I think the only way that he's able to get this change is he would, and he, and I don't think Biden would ever do this. He, in my opinion, he'd have to be Trump-esque. Like he'd have to like talk about mansion and cinema 
on a regular basis. He had well, to meet with them. That's what I'm saying about I'm saying what I'm saying is make putting pressure on the president can raise the temperature on this issue. Like, like I'm saying, what I'm saying going to the states, to their states. I'm not saying you're gonna go there and, and talk positively about them. I'm gonna say is go there and, and bash them. That yeah. was the whole point. He has to raise the temperature. Plus, the president has the power of executive orders, too. The president can do certain things through executive order, can also um, work with the Justice Department. I don't know if he can't really direct the Justice Department, the Attorney General, like Trump tried to do. But right. if he had a stronger Attorney General than Merrick Garland, maybe the Justice Department could be more aggressive in pursuing some of these cases in state after state. But yeah. the president does have power. The president just has to make this a priority. And that doesn't yeah. mean you're going to win. Right. But it does, it does raise the temperature. It does generate more pressure. You're going to get a lot of backlash from the so-called establishment saying he's being divisive. Who the hell cares? You're going to get a lot of backlash from cinema and 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 uh, Mansion and their and their crew. And, and who the hell cares? Because they're not on board with anything you're trying to do anyway. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to go down, at least go down fighting. At least the base will be the base will be supportive of you because they see you fighting. But if you just give up. Nobody's going to support you. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. The right's never going to support you. The left is going to lose confidence in you. And the middle won't see that you that you've done anything for them. So who are you winning by doing this? Nobody. And I think that's really my frustration as well. It's like even if you can't get it done, like fight for it. Like I would be having conversations with, um, you know, black media outlets, talking to them as in simplest terms as possible about what this process is. Because people, you know, don't sometimes understand the nuances of the process. And so you see people saying, well, Biden's not doing this and Biden's not doing this. But I'm like, he's not a king or emperor. He can't pass voting rights, right? That has to come through the Congress. But what he can do is these things. So I think if he's able to say, look, I'm going to continue to, to fight for this. I'm going to continue to talk about it regularly. I'm going to continue to, to go to West Virginia and Arizona. I'm going to continue to have conversations with the senators directly. Whatever we need to do, I'm going to keep pushing for this. But here are the numbers, right? Here's the math. 100 senators. We need 60 this way. Unless we change the rules, then we need 50. We don't have the 50. We got 48. That's not complicated. We got 48. We need these two. So maybe that means everybody starts to talk about it more, right? But we have, but, but, but he has to lead much more aggressively on this issue in order to, 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 to change it. Again, I still don't think with the exception of like I don't know, like something <laughs> really, I don't even know what could, what could happen that could change their minds. I really don't, but I feel like he has to fight for it. And what I will say is this, I also think that the DNC should be vocal about not supporting cinema and mansion financially moving forward. I don't think they care. I think that actually might, they might think that actually helps them. So I'm not sure that actually, they actually mm -hmm. care about that, about the DNC the support. I mean, uh, there's an argument that you know, that it could be useful, but there's also an argument that they could use that to their benefit. So, especially in, this, in states that are swing states, to show that they're not beholden to the party. The last thing they want to mm -hmm. be is to get the perception that they are beholden to the party. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, we have we have swing state elections coming up this year uh, in the midterms in the Senate. You know, there's an election yeah. in Arizona this year. There's an election in uh, Georgia this year. You know, so we've got um, the, the whole Democratic agenda is on the line this year and the problem is i don't get the impression that anybody in the party is acting in a way that suggests that they understand the gravity of the threat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and i and i i kind of go back to the obama era with this too you know i think i love barack obama for many things that he did and the example he set but yeah i think that the tone of bipartisanship that he tried to create which also failed 
Uh, yes. The tone of, of collegiality. He was attacked for being divisive, and he was trying, even when he was trying to bend over backward to accommodate the Republican interest. Yeah. Republicans don't care about bipartisanship and collegiality. They just use that as a cudgel to attack Democrats because they know that Democrats pretend to care about that. So I think the Democrats should just stop talking about that and start yes. talking about accomplishing things. Who cares? I don't think. You know, they always talk about. They always find some white people in Middle America who claim that they care. Why can't the parties get along? Who the hell cares about those people? Those people don't know who the hell they want to vote for anyway. There are people out there who do know what they want. Those yes. people who I think are persuadable. There are a lot of people on the left who are persuadable. People of color who are persuadable who would come out to vote if they saw a party that was passionate about fighting for their interests. They yeah. do not see that right now. That's very true. You you talk about when it pivot a bit. You talk about the interesting thing about this in the title of your book, Race Against Time. Explain, what do you mean by race against time? Literally, we are in a race against time right now. Mm. Time tells us demographically that America is changing. In mm. fact, the Census Bureau came out with a report in 2015, a few months before Donald Trump announced his campaign, saying that by the year 2044, white people will no longer be the majority of the country. Mm -hmm. That's devastating to the ego of white America, to the white supremacists in white America. Yeah. The idea they were possibly potentially losing their majority in just a few decades down the road. Then we get Donald Trump and we get this whole backlash against uh, the, the demographic change that are taking place. We get fights about critical race theory and, and all kinds of uh, obnoxiously offensive uh, intellectually dishonest conversations that essentially, yes. essentially focus on race. Yeah. I mean, the debate about immigration, the debate about terrorism, the debate about schools, the debate about COVID, they're all essentially about race in this country. That is the, the, the preeminent issue that has dominated our political discourse since the beginning and has yeah. become even more so in recent years. So what this means is that white America realizes that their time is limited, not all white Americans when I say this, but the white Americans who are afraid of this change, realize yeah. their time is limited and they're doing everything they can to prevent it from happening. They're electing people like Trump. They're passing new voter restriction laws. They're leaning into these uh, these restrictions like the Senate filibuster, even the Senate rules itself. Anything that keeps in place the white majority, the white power, power structure, they're going to continue to perpetuate that. Even while people of color are, are openly challenging and saying, why do we have this undemocratic system? Why do we have this constitution that's undemocratic why is it that that democrats have won the popular vote as you said in seven of the last eight elections but they don't control any power they don't even control the united states supreme court the, right. the supreme court has been t tilted to the to the to the right because of this system that we have that needs to be changed yeah Bill biden could do something about that he could appoint more supreme court justice justices too you know but i think that there's a lot of people say oh well you can't do that because the congress you know what franklin roosevelt led the effort you know, I don't agree with everything Franklin Roosevelt did. He had a lot of racial, racial problem, racially problematic policies, but he led the effort to fight for the New Deal and the Second New Deal. He didn't care. I, mean, I don't know if he really didn't care, but he, he acted as though he didn't care what the consequences were. And yeah. people like that. They like people who fight. You know, even, even somebody like like Harry Truman. You know, Harry Truman used to go around um, barnstorming in his campaigns, and and people would say, "Give him hell, Harry." You know, in his campaign stuff. And he would say, I'm just telling the truth. And they think it's hell. People want to see somebody like that. They want to see a fighter who's willing to go out there and take it to them. I mean, I, we don't have to all get along, all agree. 
but we all have to believe in the concept of democracy. And the president wants to be wants to be considered divisive because he's fighting for for uh, democracy. And you know, I have no problem with that at all. I think I think that that is why some folks um, actually, or what some people actually liked about Trump, even though he was you know shallow and misguided, he was he he appeared to be fighting. Right. And people liked that about him. Um, I will say, too, that I think <laughs> where we are with the Biden administration and his uh, approach, um, for me, it's 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 off putting that even as we talk about, like, expanding the Supreme Court and things like that, he just seems to be. Well, he is a moderate. I mean, and I think that's well, to some degree, I think he's a moderate, but he I'm not surprised that he's not going harder based on how he campaigned, based on the fact that he said, you know, I'm, I'm willing to have a conversation about, about giving away, uh, reducing student debt by 10,000, but not by 50,000, which would actually make a difference in people's lives. Um, and I just don't really understand the why. Like, like, why won't you respond to the desires and the, and the interests of the majority of the people in this country because that's the that's the people those are the people who voted for you and i think that you have a responsibility if these people elected you if people got up and voted for you and gave you a campaign and did the thing they needed to do for you to win it is incumbent upon you at that point to deliver the things those people want not to to kind of half-ass it because you're concerned about people on the right who don't support you at all. And I just I don't understand that thinking. And never will. I mean, I think there's this mentality in the, in the Democratic Party that some people believe that we can't go too far or do too much because then people will think we're just like Trump or we're divisive and all these things. I'm sure Biden feels to a certain extent he doesn't want to come across as being like Trump either. But guess what? We already think he's like Trump in the sense that all the things that we knew that Trump was doing, they're accusing Biden of doing now. They have a whole slogan, let's go, Brandon, which is basically F you to the president of the United States. They don't care about his bipartisanship. They don't care he's a moderate white man. They're going after him like he's like he's Barack Obama. And and not even Barack Obama, but like like he's Al Sharpton as Barack Obama. <laughs> and, and, um, and he's going, he's pretending like, you know, everything's normal. We're just gonna keep talking, we're gonna negotiate, I have confidence, put on my sunglasses and aviators, and we're gonna I'm gonna project a sense of confidence. Well, the whole world is burning around you, Joe. It's yeah. not gonna work. Right. And what bothers me most is that Joe Biden came into office. Remember, yeah, I think even the very his very first campaign commercial talked about Charlottesville. Remember that? Yes. Charlottesville. Yes. When he announced his campaign, he said, this is the fight for the soul of America. He said that recently, even in the context of voting rights. Yes. Well, if it's a battle for the soul of America, as he says, then act like it's a battle. Arm your soldiers with all the weapons so they can win. Don't come in half-assed, half, half -assed, as you say, in a yeah. battle, fighting you know, the Marcus of Queensberry rules. You have to fight aggressively in the same way your enemy is fighting, or else you're going to lose. Yes. If it's a battle for the soul of America, as Biden claims it is, yeah. then I want to see evidence that he really is is acting that way. The gloves should be off. Exactly. And they're not. So speaking of that, he's he's traveled around um, with Vice President Harris. Um, what is your assessment of how the Vice President has has done and the criticism that she's getting, taking, taking into account that she is the first woman and the first 
and, and she's also a person of color. Well, I think um, unless there's some dramatic change, her career is, has taken a downward turn uh, in the past year because of her association with Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether she agrees with the policies that his administration has put, put forth or not, but the fact that she can't really say that she disagrees puts her in an awkward position because Biden is unpopular, so that unpopularity uh, trickles down to her. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she also gets all the blame for everything that Biden does wrong, and none of the credit if Biden does anything right. <laughs> right. And um, I, I think that she's, I don't know what her political ambitions are or whether she plans to run for office the president at some point in the future. But uh, unless she finds a way to distance herself from Joe Biden, I don't know if that's going to be possible because I think the people on the left, I don't know how she'd ever win a primary when people on the left aren't, aren't really uh, happy with what the Biden administration has done. Um, so that's very problematic for her. Meanwhile, I mean, I can't necessarily fault her entirely because she's in this unwinnable position. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know what else she could do under the circumstances. Maybe she's giving advice to, for Biden to do exactly the opposite of what he's doing. He's not listening. I don't know. Maybe she's play that at some point. <laughs> but uh, at this point, there's not much she can do. And that poses a, a, a serious problem for her. Do you think it would be different if he had chosen another Black woman? If he had chosen a, Val Demings or Stacey Abrams? Like, do you think they would have the same thing? Happen. I don't think it makes it. I think whoever he had chosen would be compromised because Biden is unpopular. Biden is the president. The buck stops there. He makes the decisions, not the vice president. Right. And the vice president, you know, has to take suffer the consequences of that. Um, and right now, Biden is very unpopular, unpopular with the left and the right and the middle. So, um, <laughs> like I said, until he until he does something to change that trajectory, her her she's hitched her star to his wagon. Mm -hmm. it, if he somehow manages to pull out of this uh, and do something to turn things around, then you know she could move move forward as well. But I mean, I don't like to to rule anything out in politics because sure. anything could change. We could have a crisis. We could have a terrorist attack. We could have a, a national a, a natural disaster. Something yeah. that could unite the country or a war, even God forbid, yeah. um, which may not probably wouldn't unite the country unless there was a, a direct attack. Right. Uh, but we could have something that could change the course of the trajectory. I saw this in the Bush administration, when the, first, the second Bush administration, when George W. Bush came in, widely unpopular after the whole uh, controversy in the Bush versus Gore con uh, election scandal where he won by 537 votes. Uh, but then September 11th happened. Yep. And suddenly his popularity skyrocketed. He had 89% yeah. popularity. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, you never know what could happen by November, but at this point, unless there's something dramatic, then it doesn't look good. The other thing is, I hate to say this, but I've said it before, so why not? Um, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily expect Joe Biden to run for president again in 2024. I don't know. I don't know why they think that, because I think he would. But they also, a lot of people think that he might die in office, too, you know, because he's, an old, he's older. And, and mm -hmm. uh, that might be an opportunity for Kamala Harris to come in. Um, and become president and and change things around, uh, take a different policy course. She'll get criticized a lot for anything she does, left, right, or center. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, she came in and, and and acted as an aggressive fighter for the causes that that people that the, the base believed in. Yeah, yeah, win in twenty twenty four, but at least people would respect her 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 moxie and her fight for doing that. You think if if Biden runs again in 24 that she would stay on the ticket 
I don't see any reason why she wouldn't. I think it would be okay. devastating. I think it would be a bad move for Biden to replace her with somebody who wasn't a black woman. Who is he going to replace her with? A white man? That that's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to go over well. I mean, yeah, no. I I, I just I, I I am. I get frustrated by it because I I, I agree with your assessment. Not the problem. It's Joe Biden. No, I agree. Kamala Harris is great. I don't know that she is or isn't. I don't know what, she, what advice she's giving, but she's not the problem. It's Joe Biden. But she gets blamed again to the to your point by everybody, and and it frustrates me when I see, especially when I see a conversation. I saw a conversation a few weeks back in, in the black media space, just saying, you know, blaming Kamala Harris for us not having voting rights passed. And I was like, this is like this is stupid. Like this is a ridiculous conversation to be having. She literally, as the vice president, what power does she have? Well, the problem is that the Biden administration gave her this portfolio. They gave her the portfolio of being in charge of voting rights, which was an unwinnable cause, the way they were fighting it. Uh, and they gave her the portfolio of being in charge of immigration, another unwinnable cause. You know, like who thinks that Republicans <laughs> never going to go along with in the first no. place? Um, no. So they kind of set her up for failure. Uh, with, with and she the, can't go out and say things that the president isn't saying already. Exactly. So, but I mean, she took the job. She knew what the challenges were. She knew what the opportunities were. You know. You know. So this is. Yeah, I, I get it, but I I still think that the criticism of her from from black media spaces saying you know what is she doing about voting rights is misguided. Like, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think that. Well, first of all, I don't know what she's doing. I can't say that she's doing nothing. I assume she's right. doing something, but I don't really know what it is. Um, but I I do believe that whatever she's doing, she's following the marching orders of the president. Yes. But the worst thing that she could do from her point of view, in terms of um, her loyalty to the president, is to say things that are incongruous with the with the with the president's agenda. The vice president exists in our country to serve the president. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, people may think that, you know, when originally that wasn't the case. We know this because, you know, in the beginning of the constitution, the vice president was the person who came in second in the, in the election, in the election. Right. And those people didn't necessarily work in the same, uh, <laughs> the same interest. But now we have a different constitutional system and the vice president works, basically runs on a ticket with the president and serves the president's interest. What do you, uh, for those who were listening, who've been listening earlier, the, the senator from Arizona is Mark Kelly. Kelly Thank yeah. you, too, uh, <laughs> producer Chris. Mark yeah. Kelly, yeah, not Mark Meadows. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I Recently, um, a few weeks ago, there was an um, email of sorts sent out saying, hey, if you want to get free at-home COVID tests, just click this link. You can get those, and, and, and here you go. How do you feel like the Biden administration is doing with COVID and handling the COVID crisis? I don't I think like I should sing the Jeopardy music. Yeah, I care about this. Um, I don't think they've handled. I mean, first of all, I think they've handled it better than the Trump administration, but that's a very low bar. Sure. Um, and um, but secondly, I don't think they've handled it as effectively as, as anybody has wanted. You know, COVID and Afghanistan have been. I think those were the two two issues last summer, summer of twenty twenty one, that mm -hmm. started to to cause the Biden Biden's popularity to plummet. It was the Delta variant of the of COVID in 20, September 2021, and the withdrawal from Afghanistan. He had a lot of goodwill, you know, in the, the winter and spring. He came into office after Trump and created all this chaos. People were happy to get rid of Trump, happy yeah. to get rid of all the drama. Things are going well. They passed the 
rescue plan. They got $1.9 trillion out of that. Uh, he had this ambitious agenda. Things seemed like they were going well. And then June came and mm-hmm. June 2021. And then like Delta variant shut everything down. And then July, we had the Afghanistan withdrawal, which, which was a debacle. Um, yeah. And by September, his popularity had cratered. So um, I think that those two issues um, really started the, the spiral downward for, for Biden. And unfortunately, COVID hasn't, isn't something that they've gotten control over. Um, now, the reality is, you know this because you live in Georgia and I'm in California, but I've traveled across, across the country a lot in the course of the past year or so. And I see there's a huge disparity in the way COVID yeah. is treated. I mean, yeah. I, in, in New York and Los Angeles, you see people wearing masks outdoors. Yeah. And if you go to Florida and Texas, and I presume in Georgia, people don't even wear masks indoors. Right. Uh, we have governors <laughs> in those states who are, who are working against creating public health policies that actually affect, actually could positively help eliminate the crisis. So yeah. um, we have like two different approaches to this in, the, in this country. And Biden doesn't have control over all that, but he can uh, exercise some leadership. And unfortunately, the CDC hasn't been as consistent as people would want it to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything has become politicized. I mean, I, I still blame Donald Trump for this whole thing. If yeah. Donald Trump had exercised real leadership from the beginning, so mm-hmm. making it into a blame game for everybody else, we might not be in the depth of the crisis we're in right now. And I honestly believe, you know, um, the one thing that I, I have to give credit to Barack Obama for, I mean, except for the healthcare rollout of the website, the Obama administration was known for no drama. I mean, because they, they were they were they were focused on competence. And I think that they they competently, as much as they could, um, ran uh, an, a, a fairly efficient ship of, mm-hmm. of state. Uh, I haven't seen that same level of competence in the Biden administration. Certainly, we saw none of it in the Trump administration. So my sense is that if Obama had been president, um, that maybe we might have had uh, a, a more competent response from the beginning. Although I suspect we still would have had the same sort of politicization of the of the crisis, you know, about people not wanting to wear masks at first, yeah. and then not wanting to, to stay home, and and not um, you know not wanting to be vaccinated. But but I think that having a president in in power who was articulating uh, a message that was echoing the public health sentiment from the beginning would have been useful. I think so. I think you're exactly right. Um, I, I do find it interesting that um, obviously a lot of um, Republicans, you know, are not supportive of mass wearing or vaccines uh, more than Democrats. I'll say that in, in terms of percentages. But I'm also finding a lot of black people in faith spaces are anti-science as it relates to this. They're they're are pushing back against vaccine. Say again. Are you surprised by that, Ted Wynn? I actually am. And the re- that surprises you? That doesn't surprise me at all. Well, let me tell you why it surprises me. Because the because the impact of it have been felt so deeply in black face spaces. There was a point in time, March, February, well, maybe like um maybe not March. Like, all the black pastors were dying. Yeah, yeah black bishops yeah. and pastors and you know, women in in face spaces, and I know people who've had family members, and it's this is like but there's, there's a, like a disconnect. Though. There's a commonality in the rhetoric and the language of faith communities, regardless of whether they're black or white. And the whole use of the word faith articulates that commonality. I remember being in Texas in the early few weeks of the uh, COVID epidemic, uh, pandemic, 
uh, at a <clears throat> local copying place uh, to, to pick up some copies for my mom for something or whatever, whatever. I can't remember what I was doing, but, but there was an old white guy with overalls, uh, thick Texas accent, kind of yeah. this, this prototypical Texan, you think, with no mask on. Uh, and there was, a, I think, an Indian woman at the counter and she asked him, why are you wearing a mask? And she said, oh, I'm protected by the blood, you know. <laughs> I could totally, I mean, it, it seems like a ridiculously idiotic thing to say, but I could totally see black Christians saying the exact same thing. Well, I think that's because, maybe it's because a lot of the, the ideas in terms of how black people in more conservative black faith spaces do religion is a reflection of you know, white folks. That's who gave them those ideas to begin with. So it's not like they have different ideas. Um, especially in the it. South, Ted, especially in the South. Well, these I'm talking about people in California and in the Midwest and New York. I ain't talking about just people in the South. I'm talking about Black faith people around the country whom I know personally and have seen really disturbing things that they have posted. And it never cites anything scientific or anything uh, you know, like medical research. It's just kind of like, I'm going to take you know, sea moss, and I'm gonna, you know, drink my my juices, huh? We have a lot of misinformed people in the world. We have a lot of misinformed people in the black community. The difference is that those misinformed people in the past didn't always have a platform, um, and if they did have a platform, people they didn't weren't taken seriously because they were reputable people who could respond to them and, and get things straight. Yeah, we don't have that same sort of sense of clarity right now. Uh, and so you have people making ridiculous comments, to, you know, about their cousins, friends, whatever, who are taking the vaccine and, and supposedly their balls are swelling up or shrinking or once something like that. And all these things are just, you know, it's all these anecdotal evidentiary studies from people with no medical degrees, no scientific background, and other people are ill-advised enough to follow that information and believe that because nobody wants to follow the big pharma and the medical establishment, you know, there's a conspiracy. You know, I grant you the big pharma is out to make money and the medical establishment doesn't always give the right advice. But you know what? In this case, you know, they, they say even a broke clock is right twice a day. Doesn't mean everything they do is wrong. It, right. And, you know, if I see... Bill Gates and Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden and Donald Trump all taking the vaccine and they all come from different backgrounds and they're all very successful, privileged people. Yeah. Why do I think that I wouldn't want, if, if there was some sort of conspiracy or cabal out there to, 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 to against black people, they wouldn't necessarily be given to all these people. These people wouldn't be out there taking it themselves. So, yeah. I mean, I think, Use your brains, people. Use your brains. Stop listening to idiots on the internet who don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. I, I saw an article in Forrest Magazine that said, actually, don't do your own research. Because <laughs> you don't even know where to begin. Look, I have a degree. I have two Ivy degrees. I have a degree from Harvard, you know, and yet I don't know everything about science. What smart people, what really smart people know is they know when they don't know something. Yes. They know how to find reputable people, reputable authorities who actually can give them information. You know, it's, it's being able, it's critical thinking. It's being able to discern yeah. the difference between uh, some dude on the internet on Facebook who says something and a, a scientist who actually spent 30 years or 40 years studying this issue. But, know, or they'll be like, but they'll be like, but they're between those two and can't 
and, and, and yes, you can understand that these scientists may not always be right. I get that. But if you mm -hmm. can't distinguish between those, those two, then you're not engaging in serious critical thinking. No, you're not. But what they'll do is they'll do what one of my relatives did. And he was like, well, I listen to these other scientists who, you know, they're, and I'm like, so you look, you listen, looking at listening to what the 5% of scientists, like, so just dismiss the, the majority of scientists and virologists and people, immunologists, people who've been doing this for decades, and listen to these people over here. I'm like, you're always going to have, you know, those people, like, you can have a conversation well, with black people have said too. the people, those crazy people have said, you know, like the, 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 the guy in, in Florida. You know, um, the, the the chief scientist in Florida, the Surgeon General of Florida, yeah. or Ronnie Ronnie Jackson, Trump's former uh, former doctor. You know, these people, they, if they have other controversial political views, and they're Trump supporters, and they think that Trump won the election, and yet they somehow also believe the vaccines are are not right. Well, maybe you shouldn't quite listen to them because they're not really all there. <laughs> Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, at this point, I, except for the fact that this is still disproportionately affecting black people, I'm actually kind of over the idea of trying to protect people who are too dumb for too dumb, too dumb to protect themselves. Yeah, I, just I am too. Our people, black people, to be swept up in all this nonsense. Yeah. But if all these other people want to be dumb enough not to take the vaccine, not to wear a mask, not to social distance, and just continue living their lives, and they die from it, I don't really have a great deal of sympathy for for that group. I do have sympathy for black people because I do feel like we've been misled. Yeah. Uh, not just by ourselves, but by the system that is designed to mislead us and to create this sort of confusion and conflama. But, you know, for these other people, folks, you have all the information in front of you. Yeah. On, on the, on the, we're in uh, 2022, obviously. And so this is going to be the year for um, midterm elections, um, some gubernatorial races and some other races that we see coming up and people position themselves for. Um, there's been this kind of media narrative that's been disturbing for me, and it is one that has already given the House to the Republicans and, you know, and, and maybe the Senate. And I just don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's a true reflection. Like when we had the two, the two elections we had recently last year were the Virginia governor's race and the New Jersey's governor's race, to be specific. So the media coverage I saw was... The New Jersey governor barely won. He eked it out, right? And that was a whole new story. When traditionally the party in power loses after the, you know, during the presidential election. So the fact that he won, even if it was by one point, was different. And that should have been what was being covered was that he actually still won as opposed to he barely won. Well, he wasn't traditionally. New Jersey Democrats won too, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Democrats went too, but that didn't get much attention. You know, Phil Murphy. No. Yeah, who cares? No, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean specifically. Like in 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 New Jersey, like right. he won, but he right. got like a little bit of you know. Well, he 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 all right. he didn't he barely won. And then in Virginia, <clears throat> with oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about Virginia. You never yeah, but but now with Virginia with Youngkin winning, it was like oh my God, McAuliffe lost. Like, well, with the exception of the year Barack Obama, I think won the first time. Again, the party changes opposite the president normally in Virginia. So that wasn't unprecedented. It's what normally happens. So I just, I really didn't like the fact of how it was being covered. Compare that to in Georgia during that same election cycle, right. 43 Democrats won on in state elections and only six Republicans won. That's a news story in this state. And I just don't like how this coverage is happening because I think it influences how people, if people turn out to vote. 
Well, I understand that. I think you make a good point. I think people have to separate um, voter sentiment from election results. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. The voter sentiment is clearly aligned, in my opinion, with the left. The, the, the voter sentiment, as we've seen from presidential elections, as we've seen in even those recent elections, uh, but not even that, just in terms of public opinion polls and surveys, we can see the voter sentiment is in favor of change. They want to raise the minimum wage. They want to expand health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to make sure we, we fix the schools or, or and, and provide aid for people who are attending college or, or, or cancel college debt to a certain extent. Um, they want to make sure we do something about homelessness and housing. They want to, they, they, the, the, the voter sentiment is actually very positive on a lot of issues, including gun control, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but voter sentiment isn't reflected in, in, in actual election results because elections are, are tri- rigged, rigged against uh, democracy. And mm-hmm. so that's part of the problem. But I do think that there's a few issues that need to be considered about the midterms. Um, one is voter suppression. Uh, mm-hmm. One is gerrymandering, uh, which is an incredibly important issue. Um, Can you explain to people what that is for those who don't know what gerrymandering is? Um, gerrymandering is when uh, every 10 years, the United States, the United States, the Congress, the Constitution authorizes state legislatures to redraw uh, election maps for, for Congress every 10 years based on where the population is in, in that states, in those states. Uh, and what happens in a lot of time, a lot of instances that uh, legislate, partisan state legislatures will gerrymander a district uh, so that it creates this weird kind of form and shape to go wherever they want the district to go in order to to, to cut off a particular group of people. Uh, mm-hmm. So if they want to make sure that Democrats lose, they can create districts so that Democrats lose, even though Democrats may be the majority of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what gerrymandering is. Uh, and Democrats have a bill in Congress, you know, the Freedom to Vote Act, which would uh, actually, I'm not sure if, the, if it's included in the Freedom to Vote Act, but it was included in the For the People Act, which mm-hmm. would eliminate partisan gerrymandering. Um, and so that didn't get anywhere last year. Right. Um, but um, so anyway, what I was saying is, yes, the election results this year are complicated, but but voter suppression could will have an, will have an impact. Uh, gerrymandering will have an impact and voter enthusiasm will have an impact. And I don't think that any of those things is a reflection of voter sentiment. Though. Those are mm-hmm. two different things. Um, so yes, it's likely that the, the, the Republicans will win control of the House because of those historical precedents that we, we talked about before. Also because of the voter suppression that's taking place to make it harder for, for black and brown people to vote, quite frankly. Also yeah. because of the gerrymandering of congressional districts, which even if, black, even if uh, Democrats win a majority of the votes in a particular state, they could still end up losing the, the state, losing the, the, the majority of the seats. Uh, and, and, and also because of the voter sentiment, because a lot of voters who are in the base don't feel that they're very excited about turning out this year because they haven't seen the deliverable. Those three things, voter sentiment, I mean, the, the voter pa- the voter passion, uh, the, uh, the, the voter suppression and the gerrymandering could have enormous impact on what happens in the election. But that doesn't change the, the larger trajectory, which is the voter sentiment, that the voters themselves in this country are still left of center. What bothers me yes. is I hear people look at a particular election result and say, oh, that means that the New York Times, I think it was New York Times and Washington Post did some ridiculous article about this the other day saying, oh, the left's agenda is blown up and it, 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 it's, it's now unpopular. It's not unpopular. It just it got stopped by a system that was designed to stop it. Yes. Two different things, and people need to understand that. Failure does not mean the, the ideas are unpopular. The ideas are still as popular as they were before. 
Right. Just, there's a, there are systemic obstacles in place to prevent those changes from happening. Yeah, I think that's I think that's those are important points that people really need to pay attention to. Um, and I think that because we are aware of that, for those of us who are aware of it, then, you know, those persons who help to organize um, voting have to take into account what the rules might be, what the new rules might be, what the new obstacles might be, and create workarounds for those and really try to inform people as much as possible and in detail how important it is for us to show up in the midterms. I think one of the other things, again, that where you should have some some uh, coordination is between the White House um, and the state election officials helping to, to people to, again, understand how important it is for us to gain a majority in the Senate. I don't know if it's going to happen, but the things that we could get done and why things aren't being done. I think President Biden has to continue to do the things we talked we talked about earlier, you know, use the bully pulpit, go to Virginia, go to Arizona. I, I just see a, um, an event in Arizona um, not that long ago where people were having this rally to talk about voting rights and the importance of it. Um, but I think if that was to happen and you have people partnering with state, elect, state, state election officials or people who work on the ground trying to get people to the polls, um, maybe that gives us, gives us a better chance. But I think if we if we don't take extreme measures um, that we're going to be in, in a pickle. And we all know that if the Democrats lose the House, then it's a wrap. Literally nothing's going to get done except what the president can pass by executive order. Or can, have, can do by executive order. I'm not convinced that anything is getting done right now, or that will well, get done right now because because. Well, the, we did have an infrastructure bill. We got like something. Well, yeah, that was the one that was palatable to everybody. I mean, the infrastructure has <laughs> you know, historically been bipartisan in the first place. Right. But um, but in terms of the Build Back Better agenda, that was what Biden ran on. You know, that didn't go go anywhere. Um, the a lot of the provisions of the American Rescue Plan um, have, have have expired in terms of the the, the payment the monthly payments that were going out to people uh, through uh, 2021. Um, Democrats now are in the unenviable position of having people having people lose money in their administration. Um, who wants that to happen? Um, but I think that the issue at, at, at hand is really about deliverables. Mm -hmm. There have to be some deliverables to the party, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the party base, in order for people to want to come out to vote. Now, yeah. there are ways to overcome that, and one is to elect candidates who, who aren't sort of milquetoast candidates who can stand up and, and advocate for what they believe in. And I think the party needs to recruit those people, but I don't know, the, I don't see any evidence that's doing that. But, uh, well, not in all cases. But that's, that, that's, what, that's how you get the base turned out. Either you give them some deliverable or you give them a candidate they can get excited about. I think that's true. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, in a national election, but I am um, <clears throat> ecstatic about what's happening in my state of Georgia. I'm ecstatic about Stacey Abrams running for governor. I think she has a really great chance of winning. Um, I don't know what will happen in the Georgia State House, uh, but I think to your point, her being on the ballot will help Warnock. Her being on the ballot will help other Democrats who are running in the state because I think people will show up because she's an exciting candidate. Um, that could also play out in Florida. I'm not, I don't live in Florida, so I don't want to, you know, speculate too much, but I think Val Demings running is a good thing. 
Um, I don't think Marco Rubio is an easy candidate to beat. I think it'll be a, a challenge, um, but I think it's doable. Um, so we'll see, you know, what happens there. I'm not sure what's happening in, in some of the other states in, in that way, but those two races um, are interesting. I'm also curious to see what's going to happen in New York. Uh, I know that Letitia James withdrew from the race. Um, yeah, I think she would have won if she had run. I'm not sure about that. By the way, can I take a break? Oh. Use the bathroom. <laughs> we'll edit it out of this video. Yes, go. Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Did we just take a bathroom break? <laughs> How do we edit that? Um, I'll edit it before you say, uh, I'll probably have to say, uh, edit it before you talk about uh, 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 <laughs> Tisha James. Okay. Oh, God. See, this so, is what I mean, do stuff with your friends. They just yeah. random. <laughs> Drinking protein shakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I, I got, I always get a couple of good quotables from these. He said, what really smart people know is when they don't know something. Yeah. Very true. That's beautiful. I didn't want to start, I want to call people's names, but I mean, it's ridiculous at this point, the stuff people are talking about. Oh, you, I didn't see, okay, I'm going to ask this question. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, we'll remove ourselves and you can find the conversation. I gotta make it. How long is this going on? I'm almost done. Okay, that's fine. You say you have something in five minutes? What'd you say? You say you have something in five minutes? Oh, no, I was saying I was struggling for the last five minutes. Oh, and he kept going to the next question. Next question. Uh, All right, yeah, he'll edit that out. All right, so uh. We're back here. All right. So I do have um, uh, a couple other questions before we wrap. How do you think we, um, as a party and as a people, galvanize the base uh, with the lack of excitement around Biden? How do we not let Biden cost us state house elections and gubernatorial races? Well, I think part of it is like we were saying before about candidates. We have to have mm -hmm. interesting, exciting candidates. You know, it's part of the reason why I hear a lot... So much of the discourse I hear is, is, you know, especially in social media, it's just stupid. And yeah. it bothers me. Uh, people <laughs> left and right, people don't really understand the way politics work. I'm very progressive on, on almost every issue, but there's a lot of people who think, oh, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party are just the same. I, I see people posting crap like that. I think you are a, an idiot if you think yeah. that. I need to come yeah. with a better word, an idiot. But you are not, and you're not um, advocating, you're not really helping the cause by saying that. Yes, the Democratic Party is a flawed party with lots of problems, and the leadership of the party uh, is flawed itself. Um, but you can't say you have people like Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Jemani Williams, you know, all in, in this one party. Ariana Presley. They're all corporate. Tour. No, of course not. It's a party that's in transition. There's a party. There are some people in the party, like Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin, to a certain extent, Joe Biden, who are very problematic. But that doesn't mean that the party itself can be entirely defined by that because right. there are exciting candidates out there who don't necessarily subscribe to those old old time views. People like Cory Bush, who ran against Clay in St. Louis, Missouri and beat, and beat him, the Clay mm -hmm. machine, which I've known about my entire life from being from St. Louis. Um, and 
Yes, the party is uh, not perfect, but there are people in the party who do represent my interest, even if the party leadership doesn't always do so. So I think people have to have to understand the distinction between the two. And they also have to, the party and people who are not even the leaders in the party have to recruit exciting candidates that people can get behind. You know, Terry McAuliffe was not an exciting candidate in Virginia. Let me just say that. From the no. moment I heard he was running, I was like, how many times has this guy run for a governor or a senator or something or been the DNC chair or whatever? He's been around the White House, the Clintons and all this stuff. I mean, come on. Can't we come up with some, something more interesting than these old white guys who've been around the block a thousand times? That was one of the reasons why I didn't support Joe Biden when he ran for president. Like, mm-hmm. can't we come up with somebody more interesting than old white guys who've been around the block over and over and over again? That's not who the Democratic Party is. And yet the Democratic leadership continues to put up these old white guys who've been around the block over and over again. Yeah, well, who are not who are not progressive, who are well, not. Hey, bring out some young progressive people of color and have who are excited and have them run for office. That'll that'll generate the base. Even when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court, I was thinking, why did he nominate this boring old white guy, you know, to be on the Supreme Court when he could have nominated a, a, a progressive woman of color, you know, a progressive black woman uh, to be to be on the Supreme Court? That would have at, at least motivated the base to fight for her. But who wants to fight for another old white guy to be on the Supreme Court? <laughs> well, I think that's that is. Uh, we'll do another episode to talk about the, the Obama. And I'm not presidency. saying that race race equates to political political identity or political affiliation or, or beliefs, but I'm just sure. saying that you know if you have if you are an old white guy and you are also moderate, that's not it's not really helpful. I know I know there are people who are old white guys like Bernie Sanders who are very progressive. So don't jump on my case and say that. People can only cares about race, blah, blah, blah. I hate when people say stupid stuff like that. Like, I didn't think about all the other stuff. But, you know, it's that, but still, you got to give people something to be excited about. Yeah. I don't, don't want to vote for any more old white guys who are moderate for anything. I want to vote for, I want to vote for exciting young people of color. I want to vote for the future, the future of the party, the future of the country. And yeah. even if it alienates some people, it's going to motivate a lot more people than it alienates, I think. At least definitely in the base, it will get people to come out in the base and be excited about their vote. I think so. People will feel seen. They'll seem they'll, they'll feel represented, and that's why early on, when I saw the candidates um, coming out, you know, I my my first choice was um, Julian Castro because I felt like he was smart. He was a person of color. He understood the issues that people of color deal with. Um, I thought that he was, you know, consider but but we but would be considerate of what everybody needs in the country, um, but wouldn't push our needs to the side, right? To kind of be in this center acceptable space and as you know very well my number two pick was was pete uh, was, was mayor well, I pete and, I, used to him, I was like pete Buttigieg. are you kidding yeah. me? And, but and, and then after i met him and and, and dialogued with him, with him a little bit i was even more sure of my support for him and i think for, for, um, for pete Buttigieg. and i don't know if i don't know if i think he would have been um yeah. elected See, I like, but i, I think he would have been a much better president than what we have right now for sure well, my critique of Pete Buttigieg, I don't, I don't think any president would. Well, I think I don't. I think Biden has some problems, and I don't think I'm not sure that Pete Buttigieg would have been a better president right now, to be honest. But, but I, 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 I do think he's a smart person. But my critique about Pete Buttigieg was the same critique I think I've, took, I, I've mentioned to you before, which wasn't so much about his 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 intellect; it was really about his his privilege. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that he, as the mayor of a small town in Indiana, could be taken seriously as a candidate to raise as much money as he did with no background, no experience, especially as we complain about Trump being so inexperienced, just seemed inexplicable to me that people would put this guy forward as a candidate. 
It made no sense. Now I could see he might run again now after he's been transportation secretary, but but at, at the time before, I just did, there was another guy who ran, as I mentioned to you many times before, Wayne Messam, who was a mayor of Miramar, Florida, I believe, black guy. Nobody ever talked about him. He was a mayor of a much larger city than Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> But he didn't get any attention that Pete Buttigieg did. No, I he mean, didn't. There was a lot I, of I, about somebody, and I don't care. There's a lot of smart people out there. It doesn't mean they they are qualified to or ready to be president of the United States. I don't disagree with that. I think he was, and I think comparing him to Trump is, I don't think he's incomparable. I think that's an, that's not a, a fair analogy. Like Trump was, Trump didn't hold any political office, not even the mayor of a small town, and he's not an intellectual, and he's not smart, and he's a liar, and he, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think those things are are comparative yeah, in that way. Sarah Palin was the mayor of a small town, and Who? Sarah Palin was the mayor of a small town. But Sarah, Sarah Palin again is not a smart person, so that's not comparable. But but I, but, I, but I'm smart. Being smart is not not is not the only qualification for being president. We've got a lot of smart presidents who fucked up. Excuse me, who screwed up as president uh, over the course of our course of our lifetime. Being we had smart, a lot of unsmart presidents too. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, I mean but, in, in recent times, like I mean, the I Democrats mean, have had have had you know scholarly presidents in Obama, in Clinton. Obama was very smart, but we didn't necessarily accomplish some of the progressive agenda that people in the left wanted. But I mean, because he smart. wasn't a he wasn't a progressive, and that's what I'm saying. Pete is smart, and he's a progressive, and I think that yeah, that's Pete, why Pete Buttigieg was a progressive. I mean, he didn't run that way. I mean, he backtracked on a lot of issues, uh, and healthcare reform, I think, was one of those issues. So. I mean, that's part. Of, that's the concern I have too about a lot of these people who are who are conveniently progressive when they're running for office. I don't have a mm-hmm. history or track record to show that they really will be that way when the when the when the controversy hits. Um, and so I want. To, I'd rather. I, I don't even like Bernie Sanders, but I trust Bernie Sanders more than I trust Pete Buttigieg because I feel like Bernie Sanders wouldn't back down. Uh, and I I didn't vote for Bernie Sanders for anything. Uh, but I, I'm with you on that. I I, I'm not sure I know. I, maybe I, I'm getting a better understanding of Pete. I don't, by the way, I don't have anything against Pete Buttigieg. I actually like him. I just don't think he should be president of the United States. Yeah, I, I had similar opinions about Andrew um, Yang. Yang. I, I get confused sometimes because my former researcher says his name is Andrew Wang. And so I have to stop and think about that. But Andrew Yang, I felt like he seemed like a nice guy, but not ready to be president of the United States, nor was, nor was he ready to be mayor of the city of New York when he ran. So, you know, we have to distinguish, this is the same problem I had with Trump though. We have to, and I know it's not the same, same people, we have to distinguish between somebody having, you know, certain intellectual capabilities or even pleasant, pleasant personality mm-hmm. uh, from their actually ability to, or ability to be elected and to serve in, in the capacity of the job, I think. I think that's fair. I think, but I think that's what I'm talking about. I think, that having the ability to, to, I think to be an intellectual person for me is something that I want in a president, but also somebody whose policy agenda items I'm aligned with, who I feel like has a way of articulating those things, which I feel like Mayor Pete did and does, and to help people to understand them and can, and can galvanize folks. Because the people you've named, like we have Biden who has all this experience, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's really good at articulating the things that we want. He's not progressive. I think that that Obama was an incredibly intellectual person, a great, um, you know, thinker, but not progressive and, and too concerned with the, with the, um, the, the feelings of white people who didn't support him in order to really get things done. And I just don't, I mean, it's my gut. I just don't feel like Mayor Pete is those things. I think that living in a marginalized space, having the privilege of whiteness still, but living in a marginalized space. There are a lot of white gay men who had lived in a marginalized space who still don't, who still have exercised all the privilege of 
of whiteness when it when it serves their needs and is convenient. I agree. I agree with you. Um, but I think having that sensitivity, you know, and being informed, um, I'd rather you be informed and not be informed. I'll say it that way, right? To some degree. And I think that um Well, I would have voted for any Democrat over Donald Trump, no doubt about it. But I just didn't yeah. think that he was the best candidate. That's all. You thought who was the best candidate then? I didn't think Pete Buttigieg was the best candidate. No, you thought who was? Well, I don't know that I had a clear understanding. You know, I, I think I, I liked Kamala Harris and, and Julian Castro. Um, so those are the two. I never really publicly supported or endorsed anybody. But those are the two candidates I liked the most, you know. I get that. Well, we, we, well, we are aligned on, on Castro. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you think do you think he has a political future? I mean, I suppose I don't see, I see the reason why he couldn't, but I don't know. It depends on when you say future. I guess you mean it to will he run for president? I mean, that's well, just, yeah, or, or governor or senator or who knows? Okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I, I want to I want to thank you for obviously this conversation and the time that we've, we've shared today. And I hope the listeners and viewers, um, yeah, there will be viewers who will see with your protein shake. But like um, advocating for thousand, there was not alcohol. Protein shake. Advocating for health <laughs> and physical fitness. And water and water and water. That's right. And cashews. <laughs> yes, unless so, you, unless you have a nut allergy, almonds and cashews are all Well, thank you for this this conversation and your insight and your your um, experience, your perspective on it. I want to again encourage everybody to please support Keith's um, most recent book, "The Politics of a Darkening America: Race Against Time." Um, as I often say, um, please buy the book, and if you can, buy it from a black-owned bookstore. Uh, can you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can follow you on social media? Um, well, primarily I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter uh, is at Keith Boykin. Instagram is at Keith Boykin, which is K-E-I-T-H-B-O-Y-K-I-N. No S, because a lot of uh, people like to put S on my name. I don't know why, but it happens all the time. Um, and uh, I'm also on Facebook and some other things, but I don't, I don't really use those as much, so I don't really know what my, my handle is. <laughs> you can find it all on my website, keepboykin.com. So, and yeah, Twitter is mostly political. Um, I think I've told you before, my Instagram is, you know, more like thirst traps with occasional political commentary. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. So if you're looking for thirst traps and politics, Instagram, if you're looking for just politics, Twitter it is. <laughs> Thank you. This has been an, uh, another amazing episode of Perspective. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this show. Please let us know and stay tuned for our next episode. Peace.